Hello and welcome to The Bulletin with UBS on Monocle 24. Each week, the sharpest minds and freshest thinkers in finance take you beyond the numbers and hype right to the heart of the big issues of the day. Today, we're exploring, as we do around this time of year every year, the Q4 outlook from the CIO of UBS Global Wealth Management. After a challenging first half of 2022, the third quarter has been characterised by more volatility. With hopes and fears about inflation and Federal Reserve policy, the energy crisis here in Europe, and China's twin COVID and real estate challenges, perhaps the most prominent market drivers. Despite all these complexities, there are some reasons to be hopeful, particularly for those investors with longer-term time horizons. Given that, we're going to hear from our panel today on why this is an environment in which to be invested and diversified, but also selective. Our guests will outline five broad themes that characterise the UBS CIO market preferences – defensives, income, value, diversity and security. Let's start with Vince Heaney, Global Head of Investment Editorial in the UBS Global Wealth Management CEO and a former guest on this programme. Vince, welcome back to the Bulletin with UBS. Vince, let's discuss the Q4 outlook. The the piece is kind of subtitled Discovering Resilience. Let's jump straight in on that. You know, volatile times, I think pretty much anywhere. Is resilience, I mean, that's that's the watchword, right, for this uh, the last quarter of 2022? I think it is, yes. I mean... Obviously, it's been one of the the worst years for both equity and bond portfolios in sort of more than half a century. You know, it's very unusual to have both equities and bonds declining at the same time. So that means that the traditional sort of diversification benefit you would get from bonds has not really been working. And so that's why we think to make your portfolio more resilient, you can't just rely on that sort of traditional equity bond mix. And so you have to sort of look deeper within sort of, you know, the more defensive sectors within equities to look for different income opportunities and also to diversify into alternatives like hedge funds and private markets. Yeah, absolutely. And I think in this program, we're going to jump into some of those in a bit more detail and and look at what what's required for investors to to, to best position to uh, to ensure that they uh, sort of get through the, the, the fourth quarter in the best shape possible. I just wanted to do a little compare and contrast with sort of this time last year. And going back to the year ahead piece from 2021, there was, uh, I don't know, there was a lot about this idea that, you know, we would have to be finding new balances between supply and demand across multiple markets and how that would drive a degree of uncertainty. It's been still more uncertain, turbulent and volatile since. Is that because yet more new factors have been causing turbulence in addition to those ones which we were talking about this time last year? Yes, I think so. And in fact, our last monthly newsletter was sort of on sort of revisited that theme and made the point that, you know, in fact, the year of discovery is continuing. And in terms of if you think of what has changed or the magnitude of factors that has changed, the first one obviously is that inflation has proved to be far more persistent. You don't hear that word transitory anymore. And also it's reached much higher levels than many people have expected. And central banks have sort of got on board with that idea and are going for sort of you know aggressive front loaded rate hiking cycles. And that's pushing yields to much higher levels than than just about anyone expected at the beginning of the year. Obviously, the other big thing is on the geopolitical arena where you've had Russia's invasion of Ukraine, 
and what that has meant both for geopolitical tensions more broadly, but also specifically on the disruptions to energy supplies that have resulted from that and the impact that has had across the globe in terms of sort of the cost of the cost of energy, but specifically how that has impacted the, the European economy particularly particularly strongly. You're still trying to discover that supply and demand balance in various markets. I mean, you know, with the energy market is a case in point, it is so disruptive you can hardly sort of claim that it's in any way balanced. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's talk a bit about some of the kind of uh, trends and ideas for investors that you mentioned in your opening remarks, uh, Vince. And this idea of adding a sort of defensive exposure, being more defensively minded. This is not a new strategy by any stretch. And we've talked about this a little bit, actually, with various colleagues through UBS in, in recent months. But tell us from your point of view, you know, why the time is now to think in that in that way? Why does that defensive exposure build that resilience that we need into portfolios? The first point to make is obviously that the whilst we're being defensive, you know, that that's still that's sort of a relative call within the market. And the reason for that relative call is that what central banks have made clear is that they're going to continue to tighten, even if that sort of forces uh, economies into recession. So in other words, they're telling you that growth is going to slow. And so therefore, it makes sense to avoid the sort of more cyclically exposed sectors and instead to sort of focus on those that sort of are, are not as correlated with the economic cycle and where their sort of earnings are sort of steadier over the business cycle. For example, healthcare and consumer staples. I mean, we still all got to, we may sort of cut down our spending on discretionary goods, but we will still have to eat. And so one would expect, and it has indeed been the case this year, that consumer staples would outperform the broader market. That doesn't say that, you know, those, those sectors haven't gone down with the broader equity market, but they have done far better than a lot of the sort of more cyclically exposed ones, and particularly sectors like growth. Yeah, well, let's let's track through a couple of the other sort of ideas for investors that the Q4 outlook looks at. Seeking value. And I think, obviously, again, this is a timely reminder of why this is important. I mean, it's always important, but particularly now. Is it because of that enduring inflationary pressure that now is particularly expedient, Vince, to look to invest in value? Very much so. I mean, the thing with growth stocks is that, and particularly those areas of um, growth, such as sort of, you know, profitless tech, they're essentially, you've got to view them as a sort of long duration asset. They haven't um, got any current earnings. And so what you're doing is you're sort of discounting the prospect of future earnings. And so their valuations are more sensitive to the level of yields. And so that means, as we have seen this year in a rising yield environment, those type of assets tend to underperform the sort of more value-oriented sectors. The second point you raise as well as on inflation is that sort of our analysis, which sort of stretches back to 1975, shows that when inflation is above 3%, which obviously it clearly is by somewhere at the moment, value stocks tend to outperform growth. So you've got, you know, both the rising yield environment and the inflation environment telling you that yes, you should you should prefer value over growth. And if you look at past cycles over the last three Fed hiking cycles, values outperformed growth by about four or so percentage points uh, in the 12 months. In fact, that's the 12 months after central banks sort of deliver their final hike. So one can expect this uh, this outperformance to uh, continue. 
Yeah, and just to pick up on another thing that you mentioned quite close to the top, Vince, about the unusual situation where there's pressures across stocks and fixed income. I guess that is is one of the prompts to if people are trying to find a little more predictability in terms of returns against that backdrop to seek income opportunities. And that is something that is relevant, I guess, across all asset classes. Yes, that's true. I mean, clearly with volatility affecting the sort of, you know, the level of indices, if you're actually generating sort of income out of stocks, that's a lot better. I mean, there, if you look at sort of dividend stocks, they, they tend to have returns that sort of hold up better in these um, in these parts of the cycle. And, you know, so we recommend sort of looking at high dividend paying stocks, but also particularly ones where, you know, they've got sort of low earnings variability, sort of low debt to equity. So it's a sort of focus on quality income, so quality as well as the sort of the dividend, uh, the level of the dividend. So that's in equities, but as you say, yes, one can also look to uh, other asset classes to uh, to generate income. And one thing you can say about the fact that uh, yields have gone up so much this year is that the sort of risk reward has improved in the fixed income market, and you're starting to see sort of um, opportunities, particularly in the sort of the shorter end of the yield curve. And so, you know, we recommend so that you take a sort of a selected approach to, to the bond market and look for income opportunities there. And that's not it either. You can you can follow the same sort of principles in, in the FX markets where you can look to sort of take advantage both of the volatility and the difference in interest rate differentials to, to earn to earn carry, but then also you can use um, structured investments to sort of take a view on sort of some of the uh, and sell some of the downside in particular currency pairs to earn some income from that. And finally as well, you can you can look to sort of the, the fourth asset class to real estate. I mean we think if you look this is not the listed sector, but if you look in the sort of private real estate market, a lot of the fundamentals that we think are still pretty good. And we think that if you look over the next sort of twelve months, uh, returns there are going to be driven by income rather than any sort of capital appreciation. So again, that would be another one to look at. Well, let's turn to the alternative space next and consider why investors should seek uncorrelated returns via hedge funds and potentially why they should find value too in private markets. Antoinette Zeidwerch is an alternative investment strategist in the UBS CIO, focusing mainly on private markets. She's also going to talk to us a little bit about hedge funds too. Antoinette, welcome to the programme. Great to have you with us too. Let's start. Look, we're in volatile times, of course. It must therefore be ever more important to focus on relatively uncorrelated returns, right? Yeah, exactly. I think you're really hitting the tone there. So indeed, in volatile times and times of uncertainty, like the current environment, it is very important to start thinking outside of the box and to consider new sources of return to add to a portfolio. And particularly when traditional markets are not delivering, alternatives can offer uncorrelated returns and also at lower risks. So particularly now when bonds and stocks are down year to date and their correlations are increasingly positive, this is actually a difficult time for investors to start earning positive returns, right? So that's why we think their alternatives fit in. Right. It's interesting, isn't it? I guess if you actually look back sort of through recent and, and medium term history, it is the case often, isn't it? Particularly if we look at, at private markets, that where we've seen public market valuations declining, we then have seen investors being rewarded with better returns, haven't we, in the, in the PM space? 
So that is definitely that is definitely something we have seen putting capital to work in private markets following public market valuation declines. Historically, it has been a rewarding strategy as when you invest during a crisis period and when markets are picking up over time, you see that your, your returns will also improve over time in that sense. If we're looking at these value-oriented strategies in this private market space, is it about looking at, I don't know, buyouts, uh, restructured debt? Where, where, should, where should people be looking? So I would say there we would have three key areas of focus right now. And indeed, one of them, what you're saying is... Uh, uh, is value-oriented buyout, right? So it's the taking the privates and carve-outs and divestitures that may be a fruitful pool of assets and that are then also attractively priced for buyout funds. You also mentioned distressed and restructuring debt. That's indeed also then an area that we think that investors should look at. Currently in credit and debt service coverage ratios are starting to come under pressure and especially over levered companies with weak fundamentals. And this may also provide an opportunities for credit and distress managers that have the expertise to identify and take advantage of such situations. Let's talk about hedge funds as another option in terms of delivering less correlated returns next, Antoinette. So here we can also look at, at the year until, until August or the year behind us so far. Hedge funds have been a way to help investors achieve positive and relatively uncorrelated returns this year. And especially as what we've already mentioned with stocks and bonds moving in tandem. So here we advise investors to diversify their portfolio looking into hedge funds. At the moment, we would say that macro hedge funds would be a good strategy to look into. Uh, macro hedge funds tend to seek benefits from macroeconomic volatility and to have a low correlation with the global equity market. And macro hedge has also been one of the few outperforming asset classes this year with about 9.3% uh, year to August. We advise our clients to look into hedge funds. We advise our clients to look into private markets. And for hedge funds, we would say you could look into 7 or even up to 11% of allocation into your portfolio and even up to 20% for private markets, depending on, of course, an individual's preferences and risk profile. And by doing so, we believe that this should help deliver more consistent and stable returns over time. Antoinette Zeidwerk. And let's cross back and grab a final word from Vince Heaney. I'm always interested, Vince, in how a lot of these themes sort of complement or are shaped by these bigger forces, these big secular trends that we often talk about, which shape the the long-term investment strategy or should do if investors are being smart. And one I think is particularly relevant now actually picks up on a number of themes you've mentioned, energy sector, uh, food and consumer staples, technology security. And that is this sort of era of security. It's one of the really interesting themes that I know across CIO, you and your colleagues are often talking about. Tell us just briefly about how investors can position to take advantage of this new era of security and why, you know, the time kind of may be now for that. Well, certainly, I mean, I think the, and obviously this theme contains a lot of the sort of trends towards carbon net zero that were already gathering momentum before this year. And then events this year and that the geopolitical arena, specifically in Ukraine, have sort of accelerated that focus because in the, a lot of governments and companies are now realizing that rather than sort of focusing purely on sort of price and efficiency, they have to put a higher weight on security and stability 
and the sort of sustainability of uh, of their supply chains. And so, if you like, what you're getting is is a long-term secular theme that was already underway, being given an extra impetus by by current events. And so, we look at that in several areas that you've alluded to. I mean, the first one is is energy security. In fact, this one here, though, this is a bit of a sort of dual-edged one, in that the the restriction of supplies to energy that have arisen out of uh, Russia's invasion of Ukraine have actually required countries to invest a lot more this year in fossil fuel technology. In fossil fuel technology, for example, you're seeing in Europe they're sort of investing in floating regasification platforms, and but at the same time, it's also obviously increasing the emphasis on the need to uh, build up clean energy capacity. And you're seeing sort of some of the sort of fastest rates of growth in things like solar. We just had the Inflation Reduction Act, although it's called the Inflation Reduction Act in the US. There are billions of dollars worth of incentives there aimed at clean energy. And so that sort of encapsulates both sort of the energy security aspect and also a degree of environmental security, because clearly, obviously, as you move away from fossil fuels, you're looking at cleaner, more renewable forms of energy. And then the sort of other strand, as you mentioned as well, is in food security. I mean, global food prices, again, the, the Ukraine war has had an impact here because uh, Ukraine is a sort of you know, large exporter of, uh, of grains. And so that has injected some near-term volatility. But again, that theme was already underway and it's got wider sort of reaching consequences. In, in if you look at the sort of growing population, the rise of the sort of middle classes across the globe who tend to eat more protein. And so, you know, the need to increase yields to cope with that is something that is going to be there, you know, in the years to come, irrespective of when these sort of disruptions to the near-term supplies due to the war, when they settle down. And the final, the final aspect of that is, if you like, that is sort of physical aspects of security. The other one, though, is data security. Cybersecurity, again, was already in focus. And the cost of cyber breaches has sort of steadily been going up. And sort of the market estimates of the growth of that market are running at about sort of 10% compound annual growth between over the next few years. We, in fact, think that growth is likely to exceed that because, again, the sort of the one, the other flip side of a physical war is the threat of more cyber attacks. And so there we're sort of seeing, once again, a long-term secular trend being reinforced by near-term events. Vince Heaney. And that brings us to the end of this edition of The Bulletin with UBS, setting the agenda in the fast-moving world of finance each week here on Monocle 24. You can listen again and explore more at monocle.com. That's where you can join the club by subscribing to Monocle magazine too. You can also follow this programme wherever you get your podcasts, and discover more and find out how UBS can help you at ubs.com. This is The Bulletin with UBS on Monocle 24. I'm Tom Edwards. Thanks for listening.